Welcome to the sermon podcast of Gamble Street Baptist Church, Fort Worth, Texas. Gamble Street Baptist Church has been sharing the gospel for over 100 years. This podcast includes sermons from our traditional Sunday morning service and our contemporary services on Sunday evenings. We hope God speaks to you through this sermon. The atheist has said in his heart that those who believe are certainly gullible, probably irrational. How is it that anyone could believe in anything but what we see, feel, hear, smell, and touch? And not just the atheist, but the agnostic as well. We're in the middle of a series that we call apologetics, that is, doing what? Of course, when uh, anyone asks us to give evidence for the hope that is in us, that we will give not just an emotional response, although that's part of it, not just what we feel, but also to give a reasoned response based on what the scripture says. So how do we answer not just atheists and agnostics, but many people today that really think that there is nothing beyond this world? Naturalists. So we're going to revisit some issues that we talked about in the uh, first sermon in the series tonight, uh, today as a basis for that. We're reminded that we really have one of two perspectives. We either believe that matter has always existed, that is, nature is the ultimate reality, and it is eternal, or not. Um, That the universe didn't have a cause, that matter has always existed, and it wasn't created. And if that is the position that a person takes, then there's no room for a creator. Uh, There's no eternal God who made it all. So it really boils down to, to that issue, I think. When we, we talk a lot philosophically about atheism and naturalism and pantheism and all those worldviews, which we've already reviewed, but it really boils down to that. Uh, what is eternal? And what caused everything? You know, the atheist would say that it is nature and matter. The, probably the most famous atheist, at least British atheist in the early 20th century was Bertrand Russell, and he put it this way, there's no reason why the world could not have come into being without a cause, in other words, that it always was, nor on the other hand, is there any reason why it should not have always existed, so there, you see, there's the perfect um, naturalist position. Stephen Hawking, of course, Cambridge physicist and cosmologist and math professor, the author of A Brief History of Time, put it this way, so long as the universe had a beginning, we could suppose that it had a creator. But if the universe is really self-contained, having no boundary or edge, it would have neither beginning nor end. It would simply be. What place then is there for a creator? And Probably the uh, person that took Russell's place in the latter part of the 20th century, not positionally, but as the leading British atheistic philosopher, was Anthony Flew. And he wrote in his work, God, Freedom, and Immortality in 1984, much the same thing. However far back we may be able to trace the, so to speak, internal history of the universe, there can be no question of arguing that this or that external origin is either probable or improbable. What does he mean? 
We do not have, as we necessarily could not have, experiences you see in other universes to compare them with our universe. Our universes with these particular features, that they were the work of gods or a god of this or that particular sort. He sounds like a philosopher, doesn't he? What's he saying? He's saying the universes matter and it's always existed. And when you look at it philosophically, we have nothing to compare it to, and we can only assume then that it's always existed. You see, the essential issues regarding our belief that God exists, I think, boil down to this. Is the cosmos, that is the universe, made, created, or unmade? It's always existed. Was it created, or is matter eternal? Were we made by God, or are we just products of evolution? Now, this morning, I'm not going to get into creation and evolution debates. I do not believe that the ultimate cause for things is evolution. But we're not going to talk about that from a negative standpoint. What I want to talk about this morning is the case for God being supernatural and his creating the universe. We've already made some assertions from Scripture and from reason in our apologetic series. First of those was that God exists and he loves you. Secondly, that there is truth. And we believe that Jesus Christ is the embodiment of that truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We also have posited that there is one accurate worldview. There are many worldviews out there. We talked about 10 of them, and we believe that there is one accurate worldview. They make exclusive claims, each one of them, and only one of them can be right. And we believe that the theistic worldview based on Scripture is the right one, that God is one, and he is the only one, that he is supernatural above nature, that he is sovereign over all creation, and he is the creator, and he sustains the universe. All of the worldviews differ from that. Now, based on that belief that God is supernatural, it's not just a rational argument. We come from Scripture, the biblical witness, of course. He is the one that existed before, and he exists now and he will forever exist. Revelation 1, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, that is forever, the Almighty One. And Almighty, Pantocrator, is the one that is overall. He is supernatural. It's also based on logic. You remember we said that we believe in cause and effect, the logic of cause and effect, and it is impossible to have an, an infinite regression of causes. There needs to be something that caused everything, and we have a choice. It is either that matter has always been here and matter is self-causing or that God has always been here and he is self-causing. And you remember that we observed a lot of Christians do not like the theory of the Big Bang, but in fact, it gives us reason, rational, logical, and scientific evidence that there was a beginning to matter. And that matters a lot. For if matter had a beginning then, it suggests then of the two alternatives that God must be the one that preceded it, that God is the ultimate cause, and he is the only thing or being in the universe that is the uncaused cause. In other words, God is supernatural. He is supernatural. He is above and before all nature. That's the obvious implication. But there's explicit, now we, we shift gears this morning. There's explicit evidence actual scientific and logical evidence and biblical evidence that God created the universe. Not only that he exists. The biblical witness, of course, is very obvious. This is how scripture begins. Genesis 1. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But also in the New Testament, the author of Hebrews puts it this way, by faith, we understand that the world's were prepared by the word logos of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. At one time only God existed and he brought the visible world into being. Not just the biblical witness, there's observable evidence too in our world around us that God is creator. One way of looking at it is that there is a designed necessity in the universe for life. The fact that there is life and it exists suggests, suggests that there's a creator who made it. Another observable piece of evidence is the complexity of life, and especially human life. And that doesn't just suggest that God must exist and create, but it virtually proves that God, that there must be a creator and God did it. So I want to take a look at those two things today, to go from the biblical witness that we have and to talk about those two observable evidences, that is the necessity of life and then the complexity, especially of human life. You see, when we look at the necessity of life, here's the problem. It's a, it's a matter of intent. You see, even if there was a beginning, even if matter didn't exist and then it came into existence, the question is, did God do it? Did he start everything? Did this occur, on the other hand, by accident? Or was it intentional? So there's the matter of intent. So the assumption that we're going to make this morning is that the universe is here for life. That is, the purpose of the universe ultimately is to sustain life. And going from that assumption, then we have to ask this question. Was the universe designed for that purpose? Or did it just accidentally happen? And some would say by evolution or some other theory. There are really two responses. Is it designed or is it intentional? And the two responses. The atheist, of course, would say no. The condition for life, you see, the necessity of life, the condition for life developed by chance. And, of course, the popular phrase is through the process of what? Natural selection. This would be the atheist and naturalist position. On the other hand, believers, theists, not just Christians, but Jews and Muslims, would say that, yes, there is intention, and God created the, the, the universe. He created the cosmos, you see, with the intent of life in mind. He ordained it as such from the beginning. And there, as we read this morning, before the worship service started, and as we then responded to the Lord in Psalm 8, there's evidence from the Bible for this. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, there is intention there. What is man that you are mindful of him, that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? You see, there's intentionality from the biblical witness. And Isaiah we looked at Isaiah 45 a couple of weeks ago, and in that same passage, Isaiah says, It is I, speaking of the Lord, who made the earth and created man upon it. I stretched out the heavens with my hands, and I ordained all their hosts. So the biblical witness, once again, is very clear that God created, not just created, but he created with intentionality, and the intent was 
to support life. So the biblical evidence is strong. What, what would our response as theists and particularly as Christians be then to this question about the intent of life and the necessity of life? That's the first of the two things that we look at today. Well, one key principle in philosophy, I think, is important here. It's called the anthropic principle. Many of you are familiar with it. The anthropic principle, drawn from the word anthropos, which means human, which means being, says this, that the universe was equipped from the very beginning. Now, some that follow the, the anthropic principle wouldn't say designed, but they would say that the universe was equipped from the very beginning to support life and human life in particular. Now, another word for this philosophic idea, the anthropic principle, is what some would call cosmic fine-tuning. That is, that the universe was fine-tuned and prepared for life. And you know what's interesting about it? You don't have to be a theist to believe that. There are folks that are atheists and agnostics that will admit that, that the cosmos seems to be fine-tuned for life. Martin Rees, a non-believer, wrote his popular book, Just Six Numbers, a few years ago. And he makes a strong case for cosmic fine-tuning in there. He takes these six basic numbers and he said, if any of those numbers varied about the universe, such as gravity, so on and so forth, the strong force, the weak force, and all, he said, if any of them varied the slightest, we would not be here. But he does not explain it in terms of God doing this. He explains it through a kind of evolutionary process. There hasn't been enough time in our universe for that to happen, so what he says is that there are multiple universes. I wonder where he thinks they are. But Anthony Flew, we mentioned him a moment ago, really the philosophic successor to Bertrand Russell, who died in 2010. He was the most famous uh, athe atheistic philosopher probably for the past half century. It's interesting. In 2004, six years before he died, many of you know this, he then became a theist. And one of the reasons that he did was for this very, this, this very uh, idea. That is, that the universe had to be designed with the intent of life. Robert Jarrow, who is an agnostic astronomer, says this of the anthropic principle. It seems to say that science itself has proven as a hard fact that this universe was made, was designed for man, humans, to live in it. You see, it's a very theistic result. Isn't that interesting from an agnostic? And Albert Einstein, I think we know who he was, an agnostic. The harmony of natural law reveals an intelligence of such superiority that compared with it, compared with natural law, all the systematic thinking and acting of human beings is an utterly insignificant reflection. Once again, life is fitting into a universe that was designed for it. Is there any scientific evidence for this? That is, the necessity of life in the cosmos being designed for it? Yes, I'm going to share some facts with you this morning. I'll go through them fairly quickly. For example, first, oxygen. Oxygen comprises 21% of our atmosphere. If it were just 4% higher, we would have spontaneous fires all across the planet. If it were just 6% lower, we wouldn't have enough oxygen to breathe. 
So you see, oxygen obviously is designed for life. Gravitational force. This is one of Martin Rees's six numbers, the gravitational force in the universe. He says that if it were altered by one part and 10 to the 40th power, uh, what does that mean? One part and 10 with 40 zeros. It's a very, very small number. If it altered just that much, the sun would not exist and the moon would either crash into the earth or spin out into space. So oxygen, gravitational force. Was this universe designed for life or not? The expansion of the universe. This is another one of Martin Rees's numbers. He said if the expansion speed of the universe varied by as little as one millionth, if it were one millionth slower, the Earth's atmosphere would be such that the temperature on this globe would be 10,000 degrees. Oxygen, gravitational force, the expansion of the universe. Number four, distance between the stars. Our Milky Way has about 100 billion stars in it. The average distance between stars is somewhere in the neighborhood of about 30 trillion miles. And if the distance between those stars varied only slightly, the orbits of the planets would be erratic and the earth temperature would vary so greatly that life would not be sustainable. Number five, Jupiter. Jupiter's about, depends on where we are in our revolutions around the sun. It varies our distance from Jupiter, but it's somewhere around 444 million miles away. And yet, it acts as a vacuum cleaner for the earth. It attracts most of the, hopefully all of the asteroids and comets that would hit earth. So once again, a fifth factor that suggests that maybe the universe is designed so that we can habitate it with the life here on this planet. The Earth's crust, number six. The Earth's crust varies in its depth six to 40 miles deep. And you take that average and it's only about a half a percent of the diameter of the Earth. And yet if it were slightly thicker, oxygen would move so rapidly to the surface that we could not survive, and if it were just a little bit thinner, volcanic activity and the tectonic plates would shift so rapidly that life would not be sustainable. The rotation of the Earth, how long does it take the Earth to rotate on its axis? 24 hours. A very basic number. If it were just a little bit longer, the temperature differences on the, this planet during day and night would vary so much from hot and cold that we could not live. If it were shorter, the atmospheric conditions on this earth. The winds would be so great that we could not sustain life. The tilt of the axis of the earth, 23 and a half degrees, but it doesn't stay at 23 and a half degrees. Once every 40,000 years, it makes a cycle. You see, it's sort of like a spinning top. And you know, as a child, when you had a spinning top and you, you revved it up and it spun very quickly, but what would happen just before it fell? It would do what? It would wobble. What's it trying to do when it's wobbling? It's trying to stand up. Well, our globe has been doing that ever since it was created. It wobbles. The axis wobbles. It's called precession. It varies from 22 to 28 degrees every 40,000 years. If it were tilted just a little bit more or just a little bit less, the surface temperatures on the face of this earth would be too high to sustain life. Lightning. Lightning and its discharge. Why is that so important? Because 
if it were, if the discharge rate of lightning were a little greater, of course, there would be fires across the face of the globe. And if it were a little bit less, why is nitrogen so important? Why, well, I just gave it away. Why is lightning so important? Because it discharges nitrogen into the ground, which is essential for life. The distance from the sun. Any school kid can tell you, maybe I ought to ask one of you, how far is the sun from the earth or the earth from the sun? 93 million miles, of course. If it were 25% closer, that is, if we were Venus, the surface temperature of the earth would be 869 degrees. I don't think we could survive. If it were 50% further away, we would be on Mars, and it'd be 284 degrees below zero. You see, the ideal temperature is established here on this globe. Now, you know, the surface temperature of the sun's or the sun and other stars are millions and millions of degrees. But just, just take the lowest temperature that we know that exists in the universe, minus 523 degrees, and just go up to, say, 100,000. Just take that zone. You see, what we have on this globe is we have a temperature range of about 200 degrees. And if you compare it with that range that I just mentioned a moment ago, that range that we have on this globe is so specific and so narrow. It would be like taking that piano... By the way, how many keys are on a piano? You know that one, don't you? 88 degrees. It'd be like lining up six pianos and then hitting the middle C note on the middle one, and it would be the right zone, you see, for, for life. That 200-degree span, one note out of 528 keys. Amazing. The precision of the Earth's orbit I'm almost finished. Two more facts, okay? The precision of the Earth's orbit. The Earth, how much does it weigh? Well, who has weighed it? Well, God's weighed it. But they've used radar waves to measure bounce off of the moon, and somehow, I don't understand it, they figured out how much it weighs. It weighs 6,600 million, million, million tons. Wow, pretty heavy. And yet, the course of the Earth varies only one part in 10 million. Now, what's that like, folks, the precision of that? It's like one inch variance in 170 miles. That's like driving from here to the American Airlines Center in Dallas and back, and back to the hockey venue or the basketball venue again and back. Two round trips. Now, that doesn't sound like very far, 170 miles. But, folks, I'm talking about a variation of one inch. If I set out walking to Dallas, I'll take about five steps before I vary an inch. It's amazing the accuracy you see of the precision of the course of the Earth and its rotation around the sun. You know, to, to give a contrast to this, in New Orleans a few years ago, when they built, I think it was the second bridge across the Mississippi River, they started at opposite ends of the, of the river, three miles apart, and they worked to the middle you know what happened. They got to the middle and they had these huge pins that had to marry up. And they had measured and measured and measured and measured it. It had taken years to do this. And when they got ready to measure it, the pins were still about three inches apart. Isn't that amazing? Last fact, the moon. The moon is 238,000 miles from us. It goes through its uh, orbit, 2,300 miles an hour. A precise elliptical path around the earth. It prevents 
that path prevents it from crashing into the earth or spinning into the, into the atmosphere. And yet it also has some other important functions, doesn't it? It, it? it causes the tides, which cleanses the oceans. If it were a little bit closer, the waves would not just be waves cleansing the ocean, they would be tidal waves that would sweep across the continent twice a day. If it were a little bit closer than that, it would cause the earth to explode. You see, the moon also has another important function. It acts as a braking action on the spinning of the earth so that we do not spin out of control. That breaking action is only one second in every 10,000 years. I've shared some facts with you this morning, 12 facts if you've been keeping count. And I'm not going to talk about the probability of all of those things happening. I think it's pretty obvious, folks. The cosmos must have been created with what intent in mind, with life in mind to sustain life. There's a second way of looking at this, and it's the complexity of human life. And the question we would ask is, did we just happen, or is it just an unintentional process of natural selection? Did it happen accidentally by random, or is there divine purpose in human life? You see, even if the cosmos was intended for life, that is fine-tuning, and there are agnostics and some atheists that say that it was, were we also intended, or is human life simply the result of evolution, as the ultimate cause and natural selection. Bottom line is this, are we made or do we simply come out of the primordial mass as unmade objects? And if we were made, did God do it? The biblical answer is very clear in Genesis 1, a little bit later in verse number 27, God created man, humans, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, how? Male. And female, he created them. We have the witness from the New Testament in Acts 17, as, as Paul stands on Mars Hill, defending his belief to the philosophers. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. So he's talking about idolatry there. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. And then he makes this point, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and to all things, he is the author of life. So what is the probability that the scripture is right or naturalism is right? What is the probability that the theist belief and the Christian belief that God not only created, but he created human life intentionally accurate or is it the naturalist and the atheist perspective? Well, let me talk about probability for just a moment. Let's do an exercise of probability. Take out your Scrabble set, and don't take all the tiles. Just take 26 tiles, A through Z, and put them in a bag, scramble them up, put them on the table, turn them upside down, and then pick them out in alphabetical order. How long would it take you to do that? Well, mathematicians tell us that the prob probability of doing that is one chance in 403 trillion, trillion times. The number for that is, and you know in, in scientific mathematical notation, one times 10 to the such power, the higher the number of the power, the smaller the number. We all know that. It's 4 times 10 to the 26th power. How big a number is 403 trillion trillion? Uh, the, the purpose of this, folks, is I want us to understand a, a kind of a barometer here for probability. If you, if you tried to do this 403 trillion trillion times, 
it would take you how long? It would take you 13 million trillion years, 867 million times the age of the universe, which is 13 billion years old, okay? That's the number, 4 times 10 to the 26th power. Well, is that impossible to do? No, it's not impossible. Burrell's law tells us this. 1 times 10 to the 50th power is such a small number. The odds are so infinitesimal, but something is impossible. Well, that number is a lot bigger than that. It's 4 times 10 to the 26. So using Burrell's law as, prob as probability, I want to talk about a couple of things here. About protein and about DNA. We're talking about human life here. But just life in general. Protein is essential for life. And protein is complex. Protein is a building block for life. It is the result of 20 types of amino acids that are stranded together in different configurations with a specific order, and they are bound with peptic bonds. Protein. The simplest form of protein is insulin. It is 51 amino acids in two chains, one here, one here, one with 21, and one with 30 then uh, of those acids each chain must be aligned in the right and proper order and aligned precisely for insulin, the very simplest protein to exist. What is the probability of that happening? The 31 and the 20, uh, the 31 and the 20 coming together in the right order. It's even bigger than the odds of the 26 letters. It's 1 times 10 to the 54th power. What do we say about Burrell? 50th power is the barrier. You see, it is impossible for the very simplest kind of protein, insulin, just to happen. What's the probability of an average protein occurring by chance? James Coppage tells us this, the, the very smallest kind of life that has protein in it is a bacteria called My Mycoplasma hominis H35. I have to look at my notes to remember what that is. Okay. And he says there that the chances of that happening for those 400 amino acids to come together to form the very basic bacterial life is 1 times 10 to the 287th power. That's a lot bigger than 50. What's the probability of simple life just happening? Organic life that are independent organisms, not just bacteria. The smallest living organism on the face of this planet has 239 types of proteins in it. The odds of those coming together accidentally, incidentally, are, listen to this, 1 times 10 to the 119th, 879th power. Almost 120,000 zeros. It, it's impossible. How long would it take? I, don't even, I can't even calculate it. We don't have a number for this. It would take 1 times 10 to the 119th and 841st power. How long is that? It's 1 times 10 to the 119th, 831st times the age of the universe. Those, those numbers boggle the mind. Folks, the simplest forms of life could not have come into existence by accident. It is simply impossible for the simplest form of life to exist accidentally. But we're not finished. Last thing. What about human life? Were we made or did we just emerge? Hmm, DNA. You know what DNA it's, is? It's the, it's the storage entity for genetic information in our, in our bodies. Carbon chain molecules that are made of sugars and phosphates. 
They have four characteristics that give each of our cells and our bodies their characteristics. Now, how many cells do you have in your body? Well, some of us have more than others, of course. Yeah. Uh, but the average human body has 60 trillion cells in it. That's 60 trillion, 60,000 billion cells in it. I think after the pandemic, mine has, or in the pandemic, and, and all mine has 62 trillion. But each cell in your body has a meter and a half of DNA coiled in it. Each one of those cells. It's amazing. And in each one of those cells, that strand of DNA has, each strand of DNA has four and a half billion pairs of chemical bases in it. Well, you know where I'm headed with this, folks. There is enough DNA in your body. That if we took all this 60 trillion cells and took all the DNA out and we took those meter and a half DNA out of each cell and put it strand to strand to strand to strand, it reached to the sun and back 300 times in your body. It has a memory capacity, each one of the cells, each one of those 60 trillion cells, each one of those strands of DNA has enough memory capability to store the works of Shakespeare 200 times. It boggles the mind. Anthony Flew. I told you Anthony Flew, the most famous British philosopher, atheist at the, in the latter part of the 20th century. In 2004, I told you that he became atheist. That he did not, not become a Christian. He did not uh, accept everything the scripture says about the Lord Jesus Christ, but he became a theist. Hmm. And he wrote his book, There Is a God. And he opposed theists, and especially popular theists like Richard Dawkins, who claimed that evolution is the answer and the ultimate cause to the universe. And he said, that's impossible. This is what he said. I now believe there is a God. I now think the evidence does point to a creative intelligence almost entirely because of DNA investigations. You see, what I think the DNA material has done is that it has shown by the almost unbelievable complexity of arrangements which are needed to produce life, that intelligence must have been involved in getting these extraordinarily diverse elements to work together. Wow. So let me bring it to a conclusion. What does the scripture say? Psalm 139. We are designed with a purpose. For you, Lord, form my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and what? Wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And my soul, my soul, my soul knows it very well. I think we must conclude from biblical evidence, from logical evidence, from philosophic evidence, and from scientific evidence that God created the universe. It didn't just happen. God created human life. We're not here accidentally or just as a product of natural selection from nature. And it's a matter of intentionality and complex choice, not just chance. So I'd ask you this question this morning, and I know what most of you would say. I would ask you online, what would you say? Is it simply by chance that you are here this morning, or is it someone's choice? And if you conclude that it's someone's choice, then we have a choice to make today. We have a choice either to believe the scripture or to reject it. To believe that God is creator or to accept sim simply naturalism. 
You know, we must consider science. We must consider philosophy. I am thankful that Anthony Flew, just six years before he died, came to the point where he believed there is God. But it's not because of Anthony Flew's evidence. It's not because of Martin Rees's six numbers. We consider all of those things, but folks, they're not the final answer. No, it's not just a matter of probability. It's not just one time 10 to the 119,000th power. That's not it. We know with certainty, absolute certainty, that these things are true because the Bible says it. His Word says it. His Word says, in his heart, the fool has said, there is no God. Our final conviction must be based on faith. Faith in God and faith in his word. We walk not by sight. We walk not by the test tube in the laboratory when it comes to these matters. We walk by faith. I believe this. There are many proofs for the existence of God and his that he's creator and sustainer. But the most powerful evidence is not natural. It's not scientific or philosophic. It is spiritual. John 14. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will then send you another helper and he will be with you forever. And we call him the comforter, but how did Jesus describe him here? He said, he is a spirit of what? Of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him. He doesn't know him, but you know him because he abides with you and he is with you. And then later in John 16, he says why the spirit of truth comes. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all the truth. We either believe the witness of the Spirit to us or not. Our indisputable evidence, our unapologetic stand, no matter what anyone else says, no matter what the probabilities in science and philosophy say, is that God speaks to our soul. He speaks to your soul. That's why we know it in our soul, the psalmist says it. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to your God in order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul. Your best, your heavenly friend, through thorny ways, leads you to a joyful end. Let's pray. Father, this morning our, our souls are still and they listen. Perhaps someone has heard the word this morning in a different way and their soul is stirred. They have been told by many that you do not exist, that all that matters is matter, that there is no truth. But you right now, Lord, are stirring the spirits of people who listen to your message, not just mine, not just what you have told me to say today, but across this land across this globe, wherever the word is preached with truth and clarity, your Holy Spirit moves in lives and, it, and he speaks to the souls of men and women to give evidence that you not only exist, but that you love the person that's listening. And our prayer this morning is that if there's someone that is convinced of that truth this morning, that they will respond to your love and accept your son Jesus Christ as that person's Lord and Savior, 
knowing that you gave him to redeem them from sin and death. For this we give you thanks, and we pray that as you work in the lives of people, their souls are stirred, you might bring them into your kingdom for eternal life. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Gamble Street Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you have questions, we would love to speak with you. Please call 817-926-1785 to speak with a minister. If you live in or will be traveling to the Fort Worth area, we would love to have you visit. Gambrel Street Baptist Church has six church goals to reach the lost for Christ, to learn more about Christ, to touch the city through Christ, to train leaders to serve Christ, to embrace the world with Christ, and to build strong families in Christ. Please join us for our next episode.